welcome to another episode of the Feminist Survival Podcast. I am Amelia Nagoski. I'm Emily Nagoski. And today we're talking about how to listen to your body. Specifically, we're going to go through in the next several weeks the things that I did to learn to listen to my body and have successfully gotten much better at it. Like I'm almost as good as a normal person now. Um, and when I say normal person, I mean a neurotypical person because I have alexithymia which is a condition associated with autism that really gives me a disadvantage in my so, ability. I would just say that for listeners who are familiar with the podcast, you'll know that we make kind of a joke about the fact that Amelia is at one extreme of listening to her body and I'm at the other extreme of listening to my body. And it now we have a clinical diagnosis that Amelia yeah. is not just bad at it. She yeah. is diagnosably... Yeah bad at it. I'm clinically bad at it. Yeah. Yeah. Clinically bad at listening to my body. And yet I only learned the word alexithymia three or four months ago. So it's totally brand new to me that there's a name for this thing I can't do. And when I said that sentence to my therapist, she's like, let's reframe that as a difference rather than an inability. And I was like, okay, like, I, I understand why we're supposed to do that. But just because this is me and my condition and my experience of it. And I understand that, yes, it's not inherently bad or a disability. I'm not flawed or broken. I'm just different. I know. I'm just going to use language that's easier for me because it's me. Does that make sense? Sure. People get to choose what language they prefer. Yeah. And your experience, if I may be so bold as to <laughs> interpret it for you, is that it has been a disability Insofar, it has very literally disabled you. Yes, it has put me in the hospital twice. Twice. So. Yeah. I'm, so. I'm going to feel like it's a little bit dismissive to say it's a difference. It's a difference that put me in the hospital, my friend. So Yeah. But like I get how I'm supposed to like embrace the fact that I'm just not the same as other people and that I don't have to suffer because of it. And that is true. I don't mean to be sarcastic about that. I really do believe that that's true. But. Yeah, you don't have to suffer because of it, but the fact is that you have. I have. And you have not yet come to a place and relationship to it where you feel like it is not disabling you. Well, you're like, you're just getting there over the last couple of years. Yeah, it's not that I'm getting more comfortable with the idea that I have alexithymia. It's that I'm actually learning skills to overcome the the deficit that I have. Right. I have a deficit. I am less able than most other people to sense my internal experience, but it is not just a state that I am in forever, forever. No, you have to find a different way to do it. I have to find my way to it. So this episode in this series of episodes is directed at 17-year-old me. So a lot of listeners are going to be like, this episode is so basic like i didn't learn anything new it wasn't valuable for me and like maybe this isn't the episode for everybody this is the episode for 17 year old me who didn't even believe that feelings were real did not believe that feelings were real and what do you mean by feelings i mean all the feelings i mean emotions and i mean physical sensations that indicate that something larger is going on beyond, you know, a stomach ache or a headache or 
you know, a stubbed toe for that matter, or an infection, or even just to notice that I have an infection. I want to recommend that if this doesn't describe you and you're like, I do not need that, I'm aware that feelings and internal experiences are real, you may wind up knowing somebody or indeed being an identical twin with somebody who has this experience. (laughs) Yeah. And like, this is the only resource I know of that you can send to them created by someone who has the experience, who has figured some shit out. Yeah. So if you if you find yourself in connection with someone who's like, that's not real, you're making it up, you're overreacting, feelings don't exist, you're just being dramatic, maybe they have an experience like Amelia's and you could send this to them. God, I hope you do. Because if it helps somebody else with this situation... And that spares be, them yeah. the fucking hospitalizations, that yeah. would be swell. I first came to see that feelings were real when i was about 20 21 jimmy cricket yeah yeah i was grown basically not fully out of adolescence but i mean real close to grown and um i had a conductor who was real with the feelings and the touchy feely and the uh, performing in a way that's believable and tells a story and is personal and I was like what are you talking about and I I only just started to see what he meant and that something was true that I had not previously understood in my early 20s and then my first five years of teaching the more the more I taught the more I wanted to be the teacher who conducted a choir of singers who were truly expressive of something honest and vulnerable and artistic. I knew that there was something missing that I didn't understand and that I had to go back to school to find it. So I did. And uh, Allegra and I talked about that some last episode and how difficult it is to, to discover that thing and how also... A lot of teachers of music, which does require so much emotion and connectedness to our internal experience, there are a lot of teachers who are great at that, and they're amazing conductors, and they're amazing singers, but they seem to believe that if you don't know how to do it already, you never will, that if you have to ask, you'll never know. And uh, I had several of those at Westminster, and it was... It was it was traumatic. It it wounded me and hurt me and held me back because in my experience everything's learnable if you care enough, if you have enough aptitude that it'll pay off. And in my experience, people only get really invested in and motivated by things they have some aptitude in. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm curious about your experience of feeling hurt and wounded by the teachers who said, I cannot teach you. Were you aware of that feeling? Did it feel real? Yes. Um, Like, I don't know if this will get included in last week, but there was one particular professor who we had individual meetings with in preparation for a master class. And in the individual meeting with him, I cried about the music. And, um, he, so here's how the lesson went. 
I was talking about the music. I cried. I had feelings about the music. And then he had me stand up and conduct it. And I took one breath as the initial preparatory breath. And he said, no. And I was like, oh, okay. Didn't tell me what to do different. Tried it again. Preparatory breath. Nope. Do it again. And this happened like five times. And I was like, I need you to, t to tell me what to do differently. I need, I need to know. It was so frustrating. It was enraging, actually. And he didn't tell me. He, he gave me no instructions of what was missing. I, I mean, to, now I can kind of guess that there was some kind of honesty or vulnerability or truth or presence of humanity that was missing. But, like, that's not a thing that I could just magically fucking do. Some people can. I know that they can. But I, that's not me. Yeah. So as soon as you stood up to conduct the vulnerability and authenticity that you felt when you were describing the music, the show switched on and covered that up. He spotted it. And you did not even know that it had happened. No. I wasn't, I was aware of the show. I don't know if we've talked before about the Amelia show. And you call it the Emily show, even. I totally call it the Emily show, yeah. Yeah, like, there is a show that's part of the public persona, and that's, you know, yeah. So he didn't tell me what to do, but then when I got in front of the master class, and I was conducting the same piece of music in front of all my peers, and we were getting to this point that's really moving, and he's trying to, like, push me into more emotional expressivity, and he goes, cry, Amelia, and... Ah! like trying to evoke whatever it was that came from my I don't know and I was like no A you don't get that on demand B I know that you're referring to a very specific incident that happened in privacy between you and me and no you don't get to just like share that with everyone and so I finished the masterclass just like completely wrapped in bubble wrap of defensiveness. So that was my first experience of feeling humiliated because I couldn't do the thing. Yeah. Well, so can I mention one bright side of that story? Sure. He had seen that it existed in you. Like he knew it was there then. He just had no idea how to cultivate it and neither did you you needed a teacher who knew how to cultivate it and i did have those teachers also yeah so at like of all the like dark terrible and raging things about that story there is that he saw it he knew it was real and he could tell when it went away but he had no idea how to he did the opposite of what it takes to bring down the stage show. Yeah. So fuck him. Yeah, he is terrible. But also, at least, like, I mean, he's someone you respected, right? Apart uh, from... I respected his artistry, his yeah. conducting. You respected he was his a, artistry. He was, a, he was a person who picked and chose from among his students. Sure. He would have disciples, he would have favorites, and um, everyone else could just go stuff it. And that's, that's a very common thing in this kind of program. Yes. Is that you get to be one of the chosen ones. Or not. Yeah. yeah. And the guy who chooses saw the thing. At least he saw it. He recognized it. We know that for sure. And for whatever that's worth, that's something. 
And you looking back, like you can say to 17 year old you, this thing is going to happen. And what's going on is that what you felt is real. There's a real thing that lives inside you in relationship to this music that is your chosen, special, intense, you're going to commit your life to it. It's real and somebody's going to be an asshole about it. And like pretend they're your teacher and actively just be a shithead because they don't know how to deal with you. To put him in context, he was also the teacher of the conductor who in undergrad convinced me that, oh, feelings might be a real thing. Yeah. The touchy-feely woo-woo conductor. Um, so when the terrible teacher learned that I was a student of the woo-woo teacher, he assumed that I must also be the woo-woo. And I was not the woo-woo. You were not the woo-woo. And you never will be. I, well, I'm pretty good at the woo-woo now. I mean, yes, but like that's not who you are. No. You come at it in a different way. And it's yes. that's so you know I had the poster over my desk while I was in grad school. Until you spread your wings, you'll have no idea how far you can walk. Mm-hmm. And that's 17-year-old Amelia's mantra for getting to artistic emotional connection expression as a conductor. Like yeah. you, you're you're gonna get there. You're not gonna get there the way other people get there. Because your brain is different. Yeah. But I think there's something really important about the fact that even 17-year-old Milia knew there was something there. It's like there was this door and she could press her ear to the door and hear something like, I want, I, want, I would like to get through this door. And you just had no idea how to get through the door. And woo-woo teacher number one comes along and is like, I'm going to open the window so you can hear even more. No, no, no. He was like, here's a door. And okay. And like he had a personal GPS device that automatically opened it for him. Yeah. And lots of people do. And I had not even seen the door before, much less known that I had to go get a GPS device to have a proximity alert to unlock it or to get. No, I. Yeah. So what did 17 year old you have? That 17 year old me had nothing. But you knew you were going to be a conductor. Yes. <laughs> I think autism has a lot to do with that. Like, A, I didn't have as strong an identity as a girl or a female or a growing into a woman. I just felt like an individual who didn't identify with gender in general. Sure. So I didn't I didn't have a sense that only men are conductors and I can't be a conductor because I'm a woman. Or I've never seen a woman conductor, which I never had. I'd never seen of, seen or heard a woman conductor who I, you know, respected. And uh, that just didn't enter into it, which it does for a lot of kids. And I think autism protected me from that. Mm -hmm. And I also think that conducting was the magic trick for me. It's, um, you know, breathing and balance mm, in connection with something larger, which is the music. Which is like a meditation. And my body went, yep, this, we need this. We didn't know what it was. I mean, I assumed it was conducting. <laughs> but what it really was, was the movement and the internal turning toward my internal experience and being connected to something larger. That's what it was. Yeah. And it just, it just happened to be conducting. 
And it was, yeah, it's a good thing because it worked out. It, it was a path that actually led me where I needed to go. So is, is, that, is that a way into 17-year-old Milia? That the thing you have this, like, pull toward? That feeling of pull? Go, go there because it might not be for the reason that you think it is, but it's probably for a good reason. Yeah. Now, I have always had this sense of pull, of calling, which it turns out... The call wasn't out there at all. It was inside me. <laughs> was it like the tide always swelling and rising? It was. It was. Yeah. Turns out. Yeah. So, dear 17-year-old Amelia, feelings are real. Your body can sense them if you make a really purposeful decision to turn your attention toward them. And no, that is not silly or touchy-feely woo-woo. It is an actual, normal human thing to do, and uh, most people are doing it automatically all the time. I know you think they're being dramatic and, like, phony or whatever, but it's, it's, actually, it's actually normal and um, it's so good for you. So even though it doesn't come naturally, give it a try. And there is, I, I feel like, kind of a gateway in through the external senses, right? Because... Uh, 17-year-old Amelia was, as 44-year-old Amelia is, sighted. Light came into her eyeballs and produced vision in her brain. Right, which I totally took for granted. Right. So Never once paid any attention to it. So maybe step one for 17-year-old Amelia and anybody else who's like, are you sure internal experiences are real? Is you have an internal experience of vision if you are sighted. Right. You yes. have an inter you have an internal experience of everything you can hear. Yeah. If if you hear. Yeah. You have the experience of sensation and hear. So I've I'm going it let me no, let me do this. You have the experience of smell, right? Yeah. You can smell the trash can. You can smell food cooking. You can smell makeup. You can smell stuff on your face, right? Yeah. And I go in this order because this is about how far away something can be for you before you perceive it, things you see can be a horizon away. So what you're saying is looking at it from like an evolutionarily important for saving our asses perspective, the senses go in that order. And if we want to use some like science-based reason for connecting with each sense one at a time, it makes sense to start with the ones that perceive the furthest proximity. I, I don't actually know about that because it seems to me that perceiving something immediately adjacent to you is very important. <laughs> but right. when it comes to our vision, that's half our cortex. Half your cortex is the visual cortex. So basically. clearly a big deal. It's extremely important for humans. We are very visually oriented as a species. The most salient feature of an object in visual space is its movement. Mm -hmm. For, as you say, evolutionary reasons, its size and only then do we get details like its shape and its color. Right. Because those details matter less than how fast is it moving and how big is it. <laughs> so as an exercise to teach your brain to notice internal experiences, you start with noticing the point of contact between the external world and the internal world. What we are talking about now is light reaching your eyeballs and then going into this huge portion of your brain dedicated to perceiving it. And as you practice noticing light 
size and shape and color and movement. As you practice noticing those, your brain gets better at processing that noticing. Does that make sense? Yes. And okay. does does 17-year-old Amelia, I don't believe internal experience exists, feel persuaded by like, oh, I see. Okay, so what you're saying is that the external world impacts my body and creates a perception. She's almost convinced, but she's also taking for granted vision. She's like, well, I don't need to practice that. That's too, I mean, of course I can see. And the idea that you can stop and not just see, but, but notice, but notice the experience of seeing. It is a new and different thing. And you should try it because it's really good for you. Mm -hmm. And where this is leading is teaching your brain to notice other kinds of sensations. Mm -hmm. So this is just step zero. This is, you know, right. it's where to start. So um, then if you're like, okay, I've noticed my seeing, then go to hearing. And, you know, 17-year-old Amelia is like, okay, I understand about noticing hearing because I'm a conductor. And being trained to listen is an enormous part of conducting training. Being able to hear critically and also to notice your experience of hearing. Because if you hear something go wrong, you can't go, oh no, something's wrong, and then like act on it and your body responds to something's wrong. You have to notice the thing that's wrong, check in with your body and make sure that it's still, make sure that you're still communicating only what is helpful for the ensemble and not letting your subconscious ah, reaction spill out onto them because it's not good for them. It won't improve their performance. Mm -hmm. That's that's slightly motivating for 17-year-old Amelia. Okay. She's, really, she's really glad to learn that there's something that specific and that deep about the act of conducting. Okay. And if it's not literal 17-year-old Amelia, but an equivalent kind of person, this might be a person who wants to be like... Uh, an entomologist or a biologist who looks in a microscope all the time and vision for them is going to be about really getting good at noticing what you see or a visual artist noticing yeah. what you see is going to be really powerful or for a person who wants to be a chef or a cook or anywhere in food service then noticing what you smell and taste is going to be motivatingly important to change the way they attend to the way their body is affected by what comes in through their senses. Yeah, and for anyone who aspires to any level of artistry, noticing not just what you see, what you smell, but noticing what the experience is like. Is it negative? Is it positive? Knowing that neither one of those is good or bad, just noticing in yourself doesn't make you want to approach the thing, doesn't make you want to avoid the thing. And paying attention to that because odds are if you create something with that feeling you're going to start to communicate that feeling to your audience and it's going to create an experience for them that they will probably understand more quickly and more naturally than you did how to perceive you will give them that experience of feeling too they will see it and they will feel about the seeing the same way you felt about the seeing. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. And if I'm the kind of health educator that I was when I was teaching people at the age of 17-year-old Amelia, I break down the sort of uh, structure of internal experience that there's like three axes. 
there's uh do you want to move toward something or away from something do you want if you want to move toward it are you moving toward it with destruction or with curious exploration right mm -hmm. and then the third dimension is intensity simply how big is it yeah inside you compared to other things that you've felt yeah so when you think about like move toward high intense curious that's curiosity exploration it might be falling in love whether it's with a human being or with a work of art or with an idea high intensity moving toward with curiosity high intensity moving toward with attack is rage yeah right high intensity moving away is fear flight mm -hmm. low intensity moving toward with curiosity is curiosity right yeah yeah and among among all of this i really would like 17 year old amelia to know that curiosity is the greatest gift to oh, being Shelley. a human on earth hi shelly and um like we know that we already have intense curiosity we are already autodidactic we are already going above and beyond to learn what school has to offer us yeah and that curiosity we have inside us all the time, we're great at it. So now instead of turning the curiosity towards, you know, intellectual information, if you can take that strength and use it to be curious about the experience of sensing, seeing, hearing, smelling, touching just be curious about it even if it's a negative experience an unpleasant experience that you don't want to experience it again while it's happening be curious about it mm -hmm. that is a big skill to learn it's called observational distance it's a main feature of the last chapter of burnout mm -hmm. and uh, it is like the skill to cultivate yeah observational distance is also an appealing concept to 17-year-old Amelia because it's distant. <laughs> yeah, it's so not about what's crawling happening. inside the experience and being <laughs> your pain. It's about like, I am not my pain. I am not my pleasure. I am me observing what this interaction is between sensory input and yeah. my nervous system that is designed to help me perceive it. And I'm going to say, I mean, we're like going from sensory stuff to emotional stuff, but it's going to be really important that she develop this observational distance around her sensory experiences because 17 old Amelia is going to have a close and intimate relationship with depression <laughs> and that it, of, of any of any experience that's the one where you get trapped in can't differentiate between yourself and the experience so observational distance with depression is going to be so important because in my like three-dimensional grid depression is this like sucking vortex underneath the grid yeah Take a guess how old I was before I was able to cultivate observational distance between me and depression. 37? <laughs> it was more like 33, but yeah. <laughs> I was pretty close. I mean, I was a way overestimating. I thought you were going to be like 29, 30. You were really starting to get that, like, because... No, I wasn't. No. No. No, when okay. I was like 28, 29, that was when I was in my worst depressive episode ever. Yeah, and had no no observational distance at all. I was just like sunk in the hole. Just in it. In the vortex, swirling with hopeless despair. Oh, yeah. Like so bad that my husband had to 
um, call psych services for me. Yeah. Because I literally couldn't pick up the phone. So wouldn't it have been great if 17-year-old Amelia had developed enough observational distance skill with her physical senses that she could begin practicing that skill with something a little more difficult? Yeah. So that yeah. by the time 17-year-old Amelia turned into 30-year-old Amelia, she wasn't just, like, sucked into the mire. I wasn't just starting to learn how to yeah. do this while I, I was facing literally the, the most life-threatening strategy, uh, life-threatening experience of my life. I was... Yeah. Uh, if I hadn't gotten help, I, I'd be dead. Because yeah. that's what depression does to you. It's a, it's, a, it's a problem. But luckily, hope is real and help exists. Yeah. And you can come out the other side. Did you know that there's It turns hope? out feelings are tunnels. Yeah. You have to go through the darkness to get to the light at the end. There's a light at the end. It's not a cave. Even if it feels like a cave. Even if it feels like a swirling vortex. Does it help 17-year-old Amelia to have my analogy that depression is the blueberry pie? And you're just like floating in this thick glop of fruit and corn syrup? No. And you just have to like soften and relax down? No? No, she wants the science. about that. Okay. She doesn't give a shit about metaphors or touchy-feely woo-woo. <laughs> a story is bullshit, but she likes the fact that there's there's a lot of research that shows there's, that observational distance yes. is helps people recover from depression. There's so yet, much research that you like you, Amelia, can tell 17-year-old Amelia that there is so much research on observational distance that we had to cut like three pages of literature review from that chapter. Because yeah. it was too boring for a general audience. Yeah, there was too much research to go too, over. We put, we put it in the end notes. It's it's so proven and so well established. That it's boring. That it's, yeah. So, <laughs> dear Amelia, the science says you are not your depression. It does not become you. And uh, you, you are separate from it. And it's in the same way that you are not what you see. You are not what you feel with your hands. You are right. not the sensations of your skin. You right. are not the sensations of your digestion. Interoception is a whole other level we haven't talked about yet. We're not doing that today. Today okay, is about... Today I mean, is... Today, we went a little deeper today than I had planned. The plan was to but talk about... But we're building about... a skill that will save your life later. Yes, exactly. Or make it easier for Malin to save your life. Yeah. And the, the observational distance, the ability to experience sensory input without judgment is gonna be life-saving yeah and science says so science says so and also the fact that i'm 44 and alive says so yeah when i say life-saving i don't mean like life-changing like oh my god my life has changed forever i mean like i would be dead now if i hadn't learned how to do that right yeah life-saving skill life-saving skill and a person who doesn't believe that feelings are real, obviously, is not going to be able to create the distance between themselves and their internal experience that is necessary in order for you to move all the way through the tunnel. And we Not did... yet. Not yet. Yeah, not yet. So this, when I was, even, even I, with my very high level of awareness of my internal experience, if someone had said to me when I was 17 that feelings are tunnels, you have to move all the way through them to get to the light at the end, I would have been like, I'm, uh, so I'm pretty sure that's not true. I'm pretty sure they're caves. And I'm pretty sure there's a river of cyanide and bats and rats and poisonous snakes in there. Wow. So not going to go in. <laughs> not going to go in. And then my body would go in without me. Oh. <laughs> it would just do a whole bunch of stuff. And then I'd come out at the end. And I didn't go. Yeah. 
So your intellectual processing had to, your body was ahead of your intellect. Way ahead. And by, I was maybe probably 2021 when I was like, oh, it's a cave. It's, it's not a cave. When you go in, you come out. And I had learned because my body had done it a lot that when you go in, you come out. And yeah. that's just how it goes. That's how it works. Yeah. So that and, happened to you in the late 90s. And it happened for me in the early 20 teens. Yeah. About 20 years apart. Yeah. 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 Identical twins raised in the same house. People no. are different. People There's... vary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And no judgment. Like, we're... Our lives have been very different from literally the moment of our births. Yes. So, like, shit happens. That's yeah. cool. 17-year-old Amelia can hear from us. Would 17-year-old Amelia have an opinion about Emily and her feelings? 17-year-old Amelia thinks that Emily is ridiculous. Oh, Why can't 17-year-old Emily just, like... Calm the fuck down! Calm the fuck down! Like, why are you all feelings? Yeah. Like, do you have to feelings all over everything? Cork it. Right. Put a lid on it. Right. Yeah. Just follow the rules, Emily. So I think. Don't you know what the rules are? The rules are clearly (laughs) shut up. (laughs) And you were not wrong. That was the rule. That was the rule. 100%. I was so good at following that rule. You were so good at it that it put you in the hospital. So for the other 17 year old Amelia's listening to this, which is to say, anybody who's like, I am completely disconnected from my internal experience. I'm imagining like the like fresh out of the hospital. Nobody could give them a solid diagnosis. Their body is just destroying itself from the inside. They're in a lot of pain and they don't understand why. Yeah. You can begin with observational distance. Neutral noticing. they've got one of those diagnoses that's a diagnosis, but they don't know what the cause of the disease is. Yeah. Like IBS. IBS. Crohn's. Or they say, it's stress-related. Go relax. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Did you even know you were... I mean, you knew you were stressed. No. Okay. All right. No. No. Like, every time I think, but you knew this. No. No. Didn't know I didn't know. In my fourth year of teaching, I started to notice, I think I'm a little stressed. And by then, I was already so burnt out that I was considering selling drugs instead of going back to teaching. Right. Alrighty. So, the point, the moral of this episode, the lesson of this episode is, if you're really just not sure if your internal experience is something that is real or that you can trust or that matters at all we're here to tell you that the science says that all of those things are true very very true and it will benefit you to learn the skill of connecting with them of identifying them and step one is to teach your brain how to respond to any sensation to notice the sensation not to judge the sensation, and to notice what it's like to feel the sensation. And if you think those are all the same thing, okay, start with that for now. But as you practice, you're going to start to see that there are distinct layers and sides to the experience of experiencing. Say those layers again. The layers are noticing the thing, noticing what the experience is like of the thing, and I forget what the third one was. So do I, which is why I was going to have you say the third thing again. They were noticing that there is a sensation to start with, not judging that sensation, 
That's the observational distance. Yep. And then noticing what it's like to experience it. What is, do you, do you have a response? And of course, not judging that response. How do you feel about how you feel? Meta emotions. Yeah. But let's not go that far because I'm pretty sure if. We're not there yet. 17 year old Amelia is just working on like embracing the idea that, okay, yes, she cannot deny that she has sensory input that influences her awareness of the world. So we're going to start with that. Let's not get to how she feels about how she feels. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll later. That comes later. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So how to enact that practically in the world is to choose to spend some time noticing whatever sense is the most comfortable or useful or convenient for you. Um, If it's flavors, noticing how things taste, that can bring intense pleasure, but also intense bleh. But not noticing whether, you know, not judging whether you enjoyed it or didn't like it, but just the noticing. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Food Food is great for that. And also the physical experience of brushing your teeth, a lot of mindfulness training starts Right. With brushing your teeth because it is this short, ritualized, I mean, it's it's made for meditation, basically. Yeah. And if you just notice, you know, the sensation of the brush in your mouth, the taste of whatever product you're using as a dentifrice, uh, the texture of it all, mm-hmm. and what your body does in response to standing there staring in a mirror over a sink. And what is it that's preventing 17-year-old Amelia from thinking, that is so stupid, why would I waste my time? She, she is thinking that sounds stupid. Why would I waste my time? And I'm going to refer her back to the three pages that we had to cut from the book because there's so much research that says that this is so good for you and it's going to make you a better conductor. There you go. If you're good at noticing your internal experiences, it's going to make you a better conductor and a better girlfriend and a better wife eventually and a better stepmom eventually. Like these are things that are going to happen to you and it will enhance every aspect of your life and every relationship and does it feel too hard as a this is not even step one this is step zero or step negative one this is yeah this is remedial for those of us with a clinical inability to sense our internal experience dear amelia i'm sorry to say you you have a deficit you're gonna have to compensate remedial you're gonna have to work harder than other people and 17 year old amelia's like oh i can work hard i can oh there you go yeah so it doesn't feel too hard right now as a as a beginning? Uh, Two minutes uh, brushing your teeth, pay attention to what it feels like to brush your teeth. That's your assignment. And then when you get to college... Yeah, that doesn't... And knowing the... Okay, just doing it seems stupid. But knowing that it is developing a skill and changing the way my brain works gradually mm-hmm. so that it's going to teach my brain to be able to notice bigger things. That it's step one in a long process of training a long journey of learning i want to give 18 year old amelia an assignment which is when you when when you get to college you're gonna for two minutes a day in addition to paying attention to while brushing your teeth you're gonna sit on a bench somewhere on a campus that is very pretty in the fall Mm -hmm. and just sit and be still and notice the sounds and the smells and the sights and the things you're just gonna sit still outside for one year Two minutes a day. Watch how the world changes. Watch how your experience of the world changes. This is a much more complex task than just noticing brushing your teeth. But it is, I think, what gets you up to zero. It's going to seem dumb and boring 
at first. Yeah. But the more you look for, two minutes is not going to be nearly enough time. Yeah. Going to make you a better conductor. Yeah. Your undergraduate experience is already easier. Yeah. And that will get you up to step Paul, zero of uh, yeah. uh, listening to your body. So in your junior year of undergrad, when there's a new conductor and he seems very confusing, if you have done these things, you're not going to be confused by him. You're not going to be like fighting to see eye to eye to him. You're going to be like, oh, your eyes are up here. You're in the you're in the bench sitting place and it's going to you're going to have half a clue. You attend to this human being in the same way you attend to the world where you sit on the bench with openness you tune in yeah and and what he's teaching us is to turn toward our ensemble with that same kind of attentiveness so it took you more than you he was your teacher for two years and it took you years afterward to learn the lesson he was trying to teach you it's not going to take you so long you're going to benefit much more from what he has to offer if you're prepared with this practice skill. skill if your brain has the plasticity to have adapted to have this path carved already. And then when this teacher comes along and he's like, I'm going to carve a thing along this path, you're going to be like, oh, I have that path ready to go. Just. I just barely. <laughs> yeah. Established a pathway that is related. But it's so much easier than the bushwhacking you had to do. Right. The bushwhacking I was doing without even believing that the bushwhacking should be necessary. Yeah. Or that it led anywhere at all. Yeah. Yeah. And let us just also communicate to 17-year-old Amelia that this practice we've been engaging in of talking to our past selves is also an evidence-based intervention. So if there is someone who is, like, uh, feeling like... They need a place to start in this whole how to listen to your body thing. Because when they hear, you just, your body will tell you. Your body knows. You can trust your body. And it's like, I got nothing. I have zero. Know that this strategy of talking to a past self or a self in a particular moment is actually an evidence-based strategy. It creates the exact observational distance that we've been talking about. So that you can take one step back from the experience and turn toward it with the supportive energy of someone who wants to help, who's non-judgmental of the experience of that person. When I started doing this, okay, so I, when, how old do you think I was, Amelia, when I started doing this uh, turning toward a younger self? 15. Yeah, I was 15. Jesus. <laughs> Fucking Jesus. And I started with four. I was 15. Wow turning toward four-year-old self, giving her what she had needed, like in my bedroom, after a bath, meditating in this way, <laughs> without knowing that that's what I was doing. People are like, you guys are so much alike. We are. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not. Nothing alike in a lot well, of in ways. In some ways we super are. In some ways we super are. But in some but ways. But in this, in this way, Jesus. we are as different as it is as possible to be. Bear in mind that our family did not create our Amelia was the one who was doing it right according to our family of origin. I was the weirdo. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, and I think the larger society rewards the stoic oh, yeah. more than it rewards the expressive. <laughs> so it's not just our family, it's that our family existed in a right. larger culture that was also saying, Feelings are dumb. Feelings are for the weak. Yes. 
So we can say to any 17-year-old Amelia, you're not failing. You're following the rules. You're doing what you have always been taught to do. Yeah. And we're just here to say that it's going to nearly kill you if you continue being obedient. Yeah. It's going to kill you if you continue being obedient. Yes. The only thing that will help you escape actual death caused by your inability to notice your general experience is this this first step of practicing this is what it's like yeah to notice sensory yeah. input so we can this is step 1 we can it's step minus 1 it's step 0 negative minus yeah yep this is this is the remedial information needed No, by, you know what I'm going to say? Yeah. This is the actual noticing of your internal experience is step zero. It gets you to the starting line. Yeah. Step minus one is us saying, as our way to conclude our conversation with 17-year-old you, you have not been doing it wrong. You've been doing it the way your brain is wired. You've been doing it the way your culture taught you and the way your family taught you, the way you've been rewarded for all your life. You are doing it right according to everyone except your literal body yeah so congratulations you get an a plus and until you spread your wings you'll have no idea how far you can walk it turns out this is not the way and feel free not to believe us but do spend two minutes of your day paying attention to brushing your teeth for the next five years yeah and i mean we've cited so much science and so many reasons in the episode so Look at all the reasons to give it a shot. And hell, what does it cost you? Two minutes a day while you are accomplishing something you would have been doing anyway because you have always had extraordinarily good dental hygiene. I, look, dental hygiene may have been a special interest. Yes. <laughs> That's true. Excellent teeth. I have been obsessive about brushing and flossing. Yeah. Most of my life. Like, more than regular people. So that's a really good place for you to start. Maybe somebody else has a different thing that they practice pretty much every day that they can spend that time paying attention to it. Yeah. So now we have gotten 17-year-old Amelia to the to starting, the starting line. line. So now that she's been practicing this skill, um, next week we're going to talk about actually noticing internal experiences. Yeah. <laughs> that, that originate inside. As opposed to that originate outside. That aren't about sensory input from the outside world. They're about sensory input from literally physically inside you. It's actually a great sort of metaphorical behavior, brushing your teeth, because there's something inside you. It's your yeah, toothbrush. Yeah, it's in your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's like right at that sort of liminal space between inside your body and outside your body. That's great. Yeah. So we're like, we're moving in. <laughs> we're going to wait yeah. a year. And then we're going to add a whole bunch of external sensory stuff. And you're going to do that for three years. And then here comes the thing. You're going to be ready to be aware of the experiences that originate inside you. Yeah. Which is the actual start of the journey uh, this series is looking at. How to listen to your body. Last week, we looked at the reasons people aren't already doing it. This week, we're looking at how to get to step one of the journey. For those who have a deficiency. Right. Step minus one is you are not incorrect. (laughs) You are, you have been taught not to feel your feelings. Yeah. And maybe you have brain wiring that makes it really difficult for you. Like you got to work in a different way than other people. Maybe. 
Yeah. And step zero is start paying attention to your physical senses in a neutral, non-judging way. And next we're going to talk about the uh, noticing how to listen to your actual body. Yeah. Step one. Yeah. But I feel so like it, I have I have learned a lot more about how you came into the world for so long and how it was so different from me. So if like, I feel like if other people know people it, like this is not their experience, but they know people like this and they've made it this far. I hope they feel motivated to share it with the person. Cause I feel like I've learned a lot about how you came into the world. That was so different from me. So if someone is like at step minus one and moving into step zero, and they're surrounded by other people who are like me, who like just intuitively can and don't understand what's going on inside, uh, what like what your deal is. You can send them this episode. It's not just if you're good at it and know someone who isn't, send it to them. It's if you are not good at it, send it to the people who are to help them understand what makes this it is so what it's like for me. This is, this is my internal world. <laughs> there isn't one. Look, and I know that I'm aware that it's a very small percentage of people who are, you know, Yeah, this episode deficient. is not for everyone. Yeah, it's not to help the, you know, 90% of anybody. But It's to help this very small population and the people who surround them. I have never heard anyone ever speak in depth about how they learned skills to manage existing and staying well. While I have alexithymia. Yeah. We hear about like behaviors and self-care and, but this is the most detailed I've ever understood it. Yeah. So, I mean. We did it. Yeah. I thought it was pretty important to, when people were asking, how do I listen to my body? People have asked us to do an episode like this. And I, with the autism diagnosis and the alexithymia diagnosis, I thought. And just so people know, those are, they're, they're conditions that co-occur, but yes, they are yes. not the same. There are autistic people without alexithymia. Yeah. Yeah. I just happen to have these two things. But you had heard of autism before and didn't understand it. You had never right. even heard of alexithymia. Yeah. Even though I understood the experience, I knew what it was. I just didn't know there was a name for it. And wackily, I had heard of it, like a lot. I knew exactly what it was. And it did not occur to me that it was you. But yeah. of course it is. Of course it is. <laughs> we literally wrote a whole book about the ways in which I am terrible at listening to my internal How experience. could I have known what alexithymia is and not been like, oh, that's, that would be Amelia. Ha. Yeah. No. There's I'm a reason I'm not super, a therapist. It super is Amelia. Super. Anyway, so when people were like, do a series about how to listen to your body, I thought we have to start with. I mean, more basic than basic. Yeah, more basic than basic. We have to start with the people who are few in number on the far end of the bell curve, but do exist because I mean, what I would have what I would have given to have someone tell me that's what was going on with me and that there were ways yeah. that it was worth addressing. And that if I do address it, I will live a healthier, happier life. And someone like me could never have done that. Because you were like, why is Emily all feelings? I was like, why is Emily yeah. all feelings? And you were kind of like, shut up with your feelings. You're literally just wrong. about. So like, I could not have been the Somebody like me, somebody who's good at it, could never have helped you. You are the no. one who can help. You are the hero you've been waiting for. 
No, you were ridiculous. <laughs> I was you ridiculous. Were... And I was, I was. What the fuck? I was ridiculous. Let's not <laughs> be ambiguous. Like, I was a lot in high school. <laughs> yes. Very. <laughs> so many feelings. All of them. Sometimes all at once and at a really large scale. Grand Canyon emotions. Mount Everest yeah. emotions. And I just want to be clear that I was also Mount Everest emotions. Right. I was just not aware of them. Yeah. And, uh... and I I often, it, like the thing that has been hard for me to understand, it's not just that you were repressing them and shoving them down. You did not know that you were doing it. That is the part not that like is like hard for me to wrap my brain around. Yeah. That you didn't even know you were doing it. Like it was not a choice. No. Did I tell you? The neuropsych doctor who gave me my assessment said I had the highest masking score she had ever seen. Whoa. That the intensity and depth of my camouflaging, masking of autistic traits, my assimilation into neurotypical behavior, like, was running extremely deep. And I probably had no idea yeah. just how deep the show goes. The Amelia show is... Um, spilt into me. Yeah. Like scaffolding. Which, for one thing, explains why it took so long Yes, for you to even consider pursuing diagnosis. Yeah. And for another thing, explains, like, you were masking so deeply, you were masking it from yourself. Yes. Not many people are going to be as bad off as you. <laughs> no, no. And, um, you know, acknowledging this episode is not for those yeah. people. Yeah, and, like, which is most people. there is also, like, a level on which people can listen to this and be like, oh, this is not like that for me. Yeah, and I, yeah, I am willing to, to be a freak show for an hour or whatever this is. Yeah. Um, so that people can say, whoa, can you believe how far it goes in some people? Yeah, and then the 1% can be like, you're saying that's not what everybody does? You're saying that's not normal? Yeah, I'm saying that's not normal, girls, <laughs> boys, non-binary friends. Yes, I'm saying that thing that I just described for the past hour. That's a thing. It's not good for you. And most people don't have that experience and you have a deficit and it's, you can dig your way out. Start with noticing the point of contact between you and the outside world. Teach your brain how to notice. You'll be so glad. And that's it. For this episode <laughs> of the feminist, what well, I guess it's the feminist survival podcast now. Um, oh, okay. Because yeah. it's not 2020. If you're listening to this, you survived. Congratulations. If there are people you know who did not survive 2020, we join you in the grief. And if you have alexithymia like Amelia, we invite you to use these skills to begin accessing and processing the grief because it's a tunnel. You have to go all the way through it to get to the light at the end and it's helpful to have a friend at the end waiting for you and we can be that if you're like grief what grief trauma what trauma what happened i mean i mean last year was fine i just you just do you just keep on keeping on nothing it's fine <laughs> with that increasing pitch <laughs> and, this was for you resonance <laughs> yeah yeah if you're not it's if you think you're fine you're definitely not fine <sighs> none of us is fine we all need some care. Start by noticing the point of intersection between you and the outside world. It's going to help. Yeah. 
and we'll get to actual interoception in the next episode. Until then, thanks for listening. Really would like 17-year-old Amelia to know that curiosity is the greatest gift to oh, being Shelley. a human on Earth. Hi, Shelly! The Feminist Survival Project 2020 is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.